Beers and Tears would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land from which we conduct this podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waterways and sky of this beautiful place, and we pay our respects to Elders past and present, and extend that respect to all First Nations people present today, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This episode is proudly sponsored by the beautiful studio space at Small Time Group. Supporting emerging artists to refine their products, develop a plan, and connect with peers and the industry. To beers and tears. Today I'm joined with Kim Churchill here at Otway the Label. Cool. Cute spot. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah, my album came out today, so I'm like a mixture of frazzled and like insisting on being calm. Yeah. How's the reception been so far? Good. Really good. I I try not to pay too much attention to it. Um, I remember like one of my idols um, said once that praise, treat praise like a, a lovely dog running up to you on the street. And like, you can have a little moment and say hi to the dog, but like, don't try to take it home. It's okay. not your dog, you know what I mean? So I've been checking in on the praise and be like, that's nice that, you know, somebody said that or, but in general, I kind of try not to get too caught up in it. Yeah, would you say like, do you keep it chill on release day and then kind of test the waters later on? Try and keep release day as positive <laughs> as possible. Yeah, that definitely a bit of that. Like if there's any like critical, if there's any like big reviews or something, I'll probably wait. Or to be honest, like maybe never look really? at them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, honestly, like if I get a couple of messages from, from, from friends, that kind of does it for me. Like mm. that feels good, you know? Like my, my friend sent me a video and, and um, their little boy Rudy was like dancing around to Fighter and they're like, Fighter's his favourite song. And I was like that that'll do me like yeah. that feels good and that feels real and tangible and because all the other stuff I don't know I don't know what it means but it never brought me heaps of happiness or or like security or like yeah. nourishing feelings it was sort of more like the third coffee that you don't need yeah <laughs> like oh this is good and I want it but it's not good and I don't need it yeah for sure <laughs> and well I guess like taking it all the way back to when when did you first start making music or like getting into music um so I was really lucky I think I was about five years old and dad's I remember it it's one of my earliest memories we were driving home from it was dark so it was either winter and we were driving home from school or we'd been at something else but dad was like oh, there's a surprise at home. And you know when you're five, you're like, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, good, cool. What's it going to be? Like Tim Tams? Like, what are we talking? <laughs> and um, and then I got home and there was a guitar and I was kind of like, all right. And Dad was like, your mum's going to get lessons and then she's going to give you lessons. And it was so cute. So mum would get a lesson on a Wednesday and then she would give me the lesson oh. when she got home. And I just... I took to it and yeah. when I was in primary school I was the boy the kid with the guitar like I like that there's like the kid that was good at handball and like the kid that liked horses and um you know um the kid from like the small country town that like was already writing p 
Wee 80 motorbikes and stuff, and I was the kid with a guitar. Yeah. Um, and I, it stuck with me the whole time, all through, even though I got teased a bit and I didn't really fit in at times, um, it, it stuck with me the whole time. So I, I started, I started singing. It was kind of cool. My mum was in this like wild feminist choir um, called Lotus. Cool. And it was so cool. And they used to have these concerts called Reclaim the Night. And um, I was like the token boy. I was like the only boy that was allowed there because I was like eight years old. Um, and that was when I started singing. And yeah, it's, I guess I started writing. I think I started writing songs when I was like angsty and struggling with being a teenager mm. and being heartbroken and just feeling things way too much. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And what was your like experience with starting to write and then realizing that you wanted to create songs from that? It it was it was kind of cool. I remember like I was blissfully ignorant of what of how like if if me now understood me then 13 years old like trying to write songs I'd be like you little idiot yeah like do you have any idea how hard it is to write a song how complicated it is how complex all the things that you need to know so it was good because at the time I just had no idea and they were they were like there was a there was a beautiful kind of just integrity to them like innocent kind of just trying you know like a young person writing about love mm -hmm. like it's just like it's so basic yeah yeah <laughs> and there's so much to learn but it's so true and real um so i i remember really enjoying it and really feeling like i was killing it like when i was 15 or 16 i was getting into bob dylan and i was like i'm, yeah. I'm writing songs like bob dylan it's like yeah right but i felt like that yeah totally. and so it was fun cool and do you do you keep your writing like, if you're writing in a journal or whatever, do you keep that? Or once it's kind of complete and you've done what you want with it, do you get rid of it? I have a gratitude journal and it just... The writing over the years, I've got smaller and smaller and I fill the whole page. So it's, like, just hundreds of lines of, like, little cursive writing. And I keep them because they just look nice. Mm. Um, but it'll take me, like, five years to get through a gratitude journal so it comes everywhere with me it becomes really important um i did keep all of the lyrics for this for this new album i i found this new way of writing where i would i would often write the song as if i was finished right. i'd get a fresh nice piece of paper and i'd write it out really neatly and take the time as though this is done and it the ritual of it and the the i guess like taking ownership over it as a complete completed thing was really nice but then I would do that a lot of times so there'd be a little number in the corner it'd be like seven or ten or like I don't know I don't know how high I got maybe I got up to into the teens with some of them um, and I've kept all of them as well like all of these versions and it's kind of interesting because the lyrics changed and um, but as soon as the music's out I kind of let it go yeah yeah like I really um forget about it cool do, yeah. you do you read back on your gratitude journals or is it kind of like a way to let it out and then you just leave it i don't read it back heaps but some because i do like half hopeful for half thankful for yeah um, me and some friends used to have this share house in lennox head and it was so cute we used to all hold hands and we would do hopeful for thankful for us before dinner nice. and um and i loved that and then i kind of got a bit depressed and went through some some mental health stuff and 
came back to the idea of hope before thankful for because I was like, man, I was happy and that was a part of it. And um, sometimes I'll read the hopeful fours because it's so interesting to be like, that kind of happened or yeah, that yeah. really happened. And, you know, that beautiful sort of where you realise there's a bit more synchronicity between your intentions and what goes on around you. And that's really nice. So sometimes I do that just to make myself feel like magic's real. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and going on to the album, Dawn Sounds, mm. um, what's, what is the title? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Waking um, up at dawn? Yes. Listening to sounds? <laughs> exactly. Both of those things. Yeah, nailed it. it I During COVID, I kind of before COVID, I'd got into a bad habit, and that was smoking weed and writing in the afternoons right. with a whiskey. Yeah. And that was not good for me, obviously, to be doing that every day and to be treating that like work. Work shouldn't be getting high and a little bit drunk mm. and creating and creating shouldn't be reliant on those things so that was kind of creeping up on me and I'm a morning person I love mornings the music industry tends to bash mornings out of people Mm. a bit but I really like them and when COVID happened and I had so much time on my hands I was able to rearrange things and I, I created this beautiful ritual of waking up at about quarter to five in the morning and I would stumble to the kettle or if I was in my van somewhere like the 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 billy and the the stovetop and make a cup of tea and then I would light a few candles I had this idea that there can be no light like I'm not gonna I'm gonna not gonna turn any lights on in this process so like make a cup of tea in the dark most of the time and then light some candles turn on the microphones and just play for Normally three hours, I'd try to do five to eight. Wow. And I was outdoors a lot. I was, like, in driveways at friends' houses or out in the bush. What, there was one lockdown where um, I kind of got stuck on my friend's property and we couldn't leave the LGA and, you know, the drill. So I was, like, stuck there for a couple of months. And, and, um, and I was outdoors. I was out on the patio of this, like, old mud brick house. Um, and it was beautiful because the... As I was writing, it would start very dark and very intimate and very... I would be half asleep and, like, kind of, you know... Um, and then I would wake up slowly and my mind would come to life. And as I was becoming more animated and more awake, birds were starting to chirp and the sky was gently filling with blue. I remember some beautiful moments, like, with kookaburras silhouetted against the first bit of daylight and their first kind of big sort of belt of laughter and and um and everything stemmed from those sessions so dawn sounds kind of became and and similarly when we were in the studio i kind of insisted on opening all the doors and we even i even i got way too carried away i like <laughs> i got some microphones and hung them from trees outside the studio oh, cool. and yeah so we kind of tried to capture all of that nice you can definitely hear it in the album yeah the odd bird which is nice it's kind of a very it's different you Mm. don't really hear it kind of natural sound yeah 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 and there's and 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 i like incorporating that's we were talking about it before the podcast about if somebody walks through us right now or if we hear a car go off or something like i like that stuff i like creating a almost like sonic landscape that indicative of real life mm. that allows you to relax a little bit you go, oh, okay I can hear the sounds of the wind in the trees and birds and 
you know, and it's like, cool, this is real. Yeah, nice. And what does your morning ritual look like at the moment? Okay. I've just had some time off, so I've been surfing a lot. Nice. So, and I've been in the van. I've been, like, hardcore van lifing. Um, I mean, I kind of always am, but it's been, for some reason, I've been down in Tasmania, and there's been a lot of, like, like, oh, my God, this morning was wild. I could not remember where I was. <laughs> I was like, where am I? Freaking hell, like, what happened yesterday? Where did I go? Where am I? And, like, so sometimes the day starts with me, like, opening the door and, like, realising where I am and yeah. being like, oh, yeah, there's a brick wall of some back street in St Kilda. Like, okay, cool. That's where I am. I'm in St Kilda. I'm going to stumble down to the beach and... And um, so normally I get in the ocean pretty quickly, um, drinking a lot of tea. That's nice. Yeah, I'll make... It's been a bit hot for tea, though. (laughs) That doesn't stop me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I won't give it up. I'm so, like, deep on the tea train, it's ridiculous. Um, I surf, um, some yoga. I'm doing a lot of meditating at the moment, so probably all of that, meditation, gratitude journaling, a bunch of that kind of stuff. Um just to kind of get the day rolling in the right way. And how important do you find that, like, meditation and journaling is for you in day-to-day but also in your creativity when it comes to, like, being mm. able to write music and be creative in any way, shape or form? Oh, it's huge. Honestly, I, I'm at a point in my career where I manage myself. I do a lot of it myself, so there's a lot of pragmatic, like logistical stuff to do every day and it's really important for me to meditate so that I can kind of compartmentalise a little bit and I don't start trying to manage my songs into existence Mm. and stuff because creativity is like a kid on the concrete with chalk you know, if you're in a good creative headspace you might walk outside with your shoes on backwards or something and that's chill that's almost good, that means cool, the right hand side of your brain or whichever side does all the thinking is not bothered is not engaged is not like and that's why the mornings I found so good so meditating really helps me maintain the creative side of myself and doesn't muddle up the okay I've got to sit down on the computer and do two or three hours of emails and phone calls and and fight over money with a festival and you know like like all all the crazy things that are involved in managing a music career um and then the journaling like do you get stuck into some journaling yep isn't it crazy I'm really to and fro with it though yeah. like sometimes I'm just like I actually just cannot and usually that's just because there's so much going on that I like don't want to accept the yeah. fact that if I sit down and go to journal that it's all just going to come out yeah, like that's too I'm not going to look at that today yeah so yeah. but most of the time I try and get myself to do it every day yeah yeah, yeah. cool okay we're on the same page then because it's doesn't it it's like saying something out loud, you know? Mm. You might think something for weeks, but the second you say it to a friend, it's like, oh, I yeah. understand. Like, I've been saying that in my head for weeks, and now I've said it out loud. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah. Or well, also, like, when you're writing and you're kind of like, I find so m- many times that when I'm journaling, and I only, like, recently in the last couple of years realised that, like, 
I'll come to my own realizations while it's happening yes. and I'm like oh it's fine this is all good I don't even need to like think about this anymore yeah. I've realized what's going on while I'm here yeah yeah you kind of get to that and in conclusion yeah you're like oh amazing and yeah so journaling's huge for me because I had a period of my life where I had kind of um, I'd gone a bit off course and I wasn't being very authentically me and there was some like core decisions that I wasn't making that I was avoiding and my songs really became like really shallow because they were like they were like tr working around elephants in the room so yeah. to speak and and they couldn't and journaling I find it's a really good way to be honest with myself and then as long as I'm continually having those really honest like okay I am actually feeling this and it doesn't matter what I want in that situation the truth is I'm feeling this way and I need to consider that and then when I sit down and write it's like oh cool I can be honest because I I journaled and I came clean with myself about whatever it was and now when I write the song it comes from a deeper more more true place mm. so that really important journaling meditating um, really important for me otherwise I just tend to sort of flap off into the into the universe and <laughs> get back to earth yeah you get a bit lost in like just this like day-to-day -day rollover yes if you don't do that yeah I feel like. yep. or for yeah. me personally anyway that's a really good way to put it actually rollover because it is it just one thing just f one thing just comes out after another and it just flows on and on and on and you don't have a conscious moment where you go hang on a second what am I doing? Yeah. What am I feeling? Who am I hanging out with? Like, what are all these things? Did I consciously choose to do them or am I just like a, you know, a rock rolling down a hill? Yeah. And it's so easy, like, when you have bu busy periods of time and then you just get caught up in the busy. Yeah. And then it's just like, I find it so much that I can get so easily, like, just latch on to that busy 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 and yeah. just like okay what am I doing tomorrow That's like I've got to keep on doing stuff to just like keep stimulated yeah exactly and then I'm like wait then I just like hit these weird emotional breakdowns yeah, <laughs> I'm like yeah. what's going on and like you need to do today and you're yeah. like whoa what happened what did I how did I careen off course exactly there? yeah I know exactly what you mean yeah and I need and, and it sounds like you're the same but I need to find ways to like bring myself back to the present moment and take responsibility and give attention to what is happening mm. like what is actually happening and what I'm how I'm responding to it and what is my relationship to reality right now yeah. am, am I afraid of time by myself am I afraid of slowing down for a second because I'm going really fast and bouncing from one social thing to the next or one important meeting or one career thing to the next and yeah journaling meditating those things really help me just stop for a second just what did I had my friend was this radio show in Canada and it was like maybe Christmas Eve or Boxing Day around then he's like channel your inner stop yes just channel your I inner like stop like, <laughs> yes I need to stop and then you do and then you're like okay cool 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 i'm actually just gonna have a cup of tea with mum sit on the patio cool and that's it that's nice. all i need to do yeah. and then i'll write a song or something a song will come it'll be like cool there's space for me now i'm gonna wander into your mind yeah nice okay and well i wanted to dive into a couple of songs off the record firstly the opening track um 
really, really, really beautiful. Why, why was that the opener for the record? I think it just captures the, f- the whole feeling of the album. I love there's this tiny little snippet of audio at the end, which is me being like, that was probably my favourite take yet. Yeah. Like, little things like that, which capture those, as I was saying, like artefacts and things. Um, the album in a big way, I'd say the main theme of the album is failure is like embracing failure coming to the realization that failure is a really important part of day-to-day life yeah um we're meant to we're meant to come down to planet earth and fail and fail and fail and fail and that's how we evolve and that's the, the greatest gift that life can offer you is the opportunity to rise and evolve and learn you know um and and failure is like the key to it. Yeah. And I was, I was being, I've let too many years of my life go past being afraid of failing and being afraid of what people will think of me if I fail or if I do that and look like an idiot or all of these kinds of things. And, and come back free is very much a celebration of realizing that failure is the mark of a life well lived. And like, you know, when I'm, when I'm old, I want to know that I failed fuckloads like yeah. I just want to know that I just every day I fell off a bike or you know yeah. like something happened that was like cool I just learned a bit and and so I put that song first because I think that's probably it really deals with those themes um and the liberation it's liberating you come back free you like once you realize that you fail and you get back up again if you lie on the ground after you fail then yeah you did fail you know, you're done. You're just lying on the ground for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get back up, you learn. You yeah, know, totally. Because you're going to try something again and you're going to learn from that failure. And, and it's liberating to realise, like, okay, that's awesome. That's the point. And, and I come back liberated. I come back free. That failure can't, can't um, you know, can't ruin me. Mm. It's going to actually help me become become better and rise um so yeah i plonked it right at the start to kind of yeah get the message happening straight away and what would you say is like a key failure that occurred while you were creating this album i i fell in love with a girl that didn't work out and it it had taken me a long time to open up i think i was always Mm. quite guarded in relationships and i was always probably the one in the seat of power because I wasn't love so vulnerable and it's so soft it's beautifully soft and I was afraid of that so I was staying a bit hard you know and not kind of letting somebody into that really soft vulnerable gentle part of myself um and I was like I need to rectify that because I'm like what do they call it I just just heard in a podcast like a night or two ago like love bombing I was like love bombing girls where I was just like being an entertain, I was like doing. I, I was going over the top and really romantic. I like it's my job to make people love me, and I'm good at it. And I would just like, but deep down, I wasn't falling in love with them. So I was breaking girls' hearts. I was like, that's not cool. I need yeah. to. I need to. I need to um, step up to the plate here. And and um, and then I did, and I fell in love with a girl, and um, I got fucking walloped. Oh my god, it hurt so bad. Um, and so that was definitely one. Yeah. That was a big failure. I made a fool of myself. Um, I was so caught up in it. Um, 
this is Bob Dylan quote, you can't be wise and in love at the same time. And I looked <laughs> back on myself and I was like, I was such an idiot. Like, I thought I understood. I thought, yeah, I thought I was so above all of those things I just did. So that was a big one. Um, my career as well had kind of, I guess, fallen over in a sense. Like I, I parted ways with my manager. I, I finished up with my major record deals and I didn't sign new ones. So there was a lot of career stuff as well that was, um, there was real unknowns and I didn't really, I sort of like major record labels signed me five or six years ago saying, oh, you're going to be the next Vance Joy. Mm. And that didn't happen. And so that felt like, and I really worked hard for a while to kind of be something like that. And that felt, that was a failure in terms of what I set out to achieve. But it was a beautiful failure because I learned so much and I yeah. came back liberated and I'm happier than I've ever been. And so, yeah, they were two of the main ones. Cool. And in terms of like, I guess, being a part of the music industry and like you said, like taking your, like doing your own management and parting from record labels, mm. how do you feel doing all of that? And like, why did you make the conscious decision not to kind of find another manager or like pitch yeah. to more labels or yeah. like where are you at now with that whole industry world yeah it's crazy i i live in my van i play gigs on a stage that i sleep on every night that slides out of the side of my van and i, I play probably 40 shows on this tour which is 57 shows probably 40 shows most of the music industry couldn't even tell you where that town was on a map yeah um I, and I, I realise, like, I'm kind of a country lanes guy. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm happy, you know? Like, I like to swim in rivers and do yoga uh, on the grass in the morning by myself in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, that's it's sort of my style. I don't like to sit at a fancy cafe in Sydney with a record label exec talking about the, the latest Ed Sheeran album, you know? Like, it's not really my style. So part of it was me just realising I'm not being authentic. Um, you know, it's it was like the stylist would dress me in clothes that weren't me and that would ricochet, that pattern would be in every part of things. The way the um, record label was aiming for me to have a fame that involved the music having a certain quality to it and the music being a certain way. So it infiltrated the music. Um, I had a bit of imposter syndrome, so I was kind of like, I'd always get quite anxious when I went into my record labels and I always felt like, I didn't really understand why I was there. Yeah. And, um, so I think when I realised that it wasn't working, I was like, I want to get back to why I started doing this. Like, I want to get back to when I left high school in a camper van basking at markets. Like, I was happy. And I had a beautiful little artistic vision and a little thing that I was doing that people liked. And I was like, I want to get back to that. And, um, and not to go too industry nerdy but like one of my one of my good friends is a guitarist named daniel champagne and we grew up together on the far south coast and his dad said to us a couple of times in our first years of touring he's like boys keep it skinny you know we, i'd be talking about some oh i'm gonna sign with this manager or this this record label he'd be like keep it skinny kim like don't you know it was a great expression yeah and so now i live in my van i don't, I don't pay for hotels i was just like you know, I, I 
I do everything myself. The one thing is I do I do stretch myself pretty thin and, you know, I meditate five times a day and I'm still kind of an anxious dude. So mm. I, one of my good mates is like, well, I don't know if, you know, if you, if you need to meditate five times a day to stay calm, but maybe you need to tweak a few things. Yeah. You know? um, but I'm, I am really happy and I think there's a certain... There's a certain quality to somebody that is letting go of a lot of, um, I guess, like junk foodie, easy to grab at and easy to want kind of things and going for something that's more them and more authentic. And, and I feel like I've taken that path now and, and it feels like the right call. Mm. Do you feel like this album has like a bit of like a cyclical nature to it from like when, like talking about evolution from when you kind of first yeah. s- started writing yeah. and making music. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's way less production. Um, I definitely had the thought of like, what do I do well? You know, a few years ago where I felt like my career was falling over and and um, I didn't understand, you know, my art anymore. I was like, what do I do well? And I was like, play guitar and sing, essentially. That's what I do well. Um and so I got back to that. This album is very much like make it about the guitar and the voice mm. and the new song, you know? Like, that's what I do well. Like, I'm going to try to get some amazing producer in the city and write, write some banger for radio. That's not what I do well. I do not do that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I trying to do that? Yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, but it was fun to try. Cool. And, well, Dawn Sounds, the track, I think that might be my favourite. Oh, cool. Um has a nice guitar intro speaking of guitar and is it violin there's cello cello okay some sort of string instrument cool sets the vibe doesn't it so what was the inspiration behind i guess including the cello Mm. and Mm. that track being the title track yep um all of my i've sort of picked this new way to do production and instrumentation which is who are my friends? Yeah. <laughs> Who am I playing music with? Like, um, I think you, you and your sis came to a show that J- Josh, the cellist, played with me down at um, Marcus Hill yeah. at the Hirocombi property. Yes. So Josh has become a real part of my live show. I love having him along. He's a good friend. He surfs, he dives. We do a lot of the same things. So it's really nice to have him on the road. So naturally I was just like, hey, do you want to play cello all over my album? Like, do it wherever you want kind of thing. Um, and then another friend of mine, um, Johnny Dusto, who has a band called Dusty Boots, phenomenal sax player. So there's a lot of saxophone on the cool. album. Sort of, sort of did it that way. Um, and Dawn Sounds was sort of a celebration of getting back into nature and connecting with nature. Um, and as I was saying before, like I did there was a point in my life where I was very industry focused and focusing on radio play and my record deals and all this kind of stuff. So I was spending a lot of time in cities and and the last few years have been really nice, like just going deeply back into my into my natural kind of world. Yeah. Parking my van somewhere by a river and and um, and and how much good it did me. I don't know, it just do, it does me so much good. It really brings me back down to earth. Cool. And speaking of friends, Steph Strings is on one of your yeah, tracks. Yeah. Um, how did that collaboration 
come to be? What was it like having a collaboration on your album? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my god, it's a, it's a, it's there's a lot of chapters to the story, but I wrote that song in a hotel room a hotel room in Memphis in 2010. Um, and then that evening, me and my friend Ashley Mannix, who's in a band now called Little Georgia, um, with another friend of mine, Justin Carter, um, she was there as well because we were playing this, like, folk showcase thing in Memphis. They have, like, it's this crazy big, like, festival in a hotel. Ooh. So every hotel room is a tiny little stage. Wait, where is this? Um, Memphis, Tennessee, so over in America. Yeah, I think one of my friends is playing that. Oh, is it like cool. a folk alliance? Folk alliance, thing? That's yeah, it. yeah, cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So it's still happening. Yeah, it's happening oh this year, I think. And it's it is going. in Memphis? It's in Kansas ne- Kansas this year. now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that rings a bell, actually. Cool, because I got some friends that I was like, if that's still happening, that's what you need to go to. Awesome, I can tell them that yeah. they need to. So I was at that, oh. um, and it was in Memphis, and I wrote this song. Um, Please Come Home, and we went to Sun Records, which is like this recording studio where Elvis started out, where even before then it was like Howl and Wolf and these early blues guys, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis. It's like, it's a museum, basically. It's really cool, but Memphis is poor now. It's a a broke city, and, and the studio is struggling, and so they do like a museum kind of thing, but then they open it at night, so you can record in there at night, so we... And it's cheap. It's like 200 bucks mm. for the night. And you re- can record from like 9 until 4 in the morning or something. Cool. And I played that song and Ashley sung it with me. And so it was a duet from even from the day that it was written. Um, and then over the years, I've recorded that song five times for five different albums. And four times I pulled it off the album. Whoa. Like in the final stages. So there's so many versions of that. And different people have... Oh, no, Ashley sung the first few times. I would get Ash to sing it. And then finally I gave up on that song. I was like, you know what? I don't know what it is, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel appropriate. Um, I don't want it. I don't want it on the album. And I forgot about it. Um, and then with Dawn Sounds, I just started playing it a little bit again. And I... I don't know. I, 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 I felt like I'd got over... You know, I felt like I'd gotten over whatever my little qualms were with it, and I was starting to play it again. Um, but I, w- I had forgotten that it was a duet. I'd right. forgotten that, and I was just singing it on my own. Um, I think maybe the last album that I had tried to record it for before that, I had just done it on my own, and I'd forgotten that for all those years ago that Ash had sung it with me. Um, and then I showed my marketing team who they I do work quite closely with them they sort of helped me almost in a manager like way and um, Marty from my marketing team was like we should have there should you should do this as a duet this sounds like a duet which is amazing that she she picked up on that and um, so we started brainstorming people to sing it with I think we reached out to Julia Stone um, and I think her email was so funny. She's like, I'm sure Kim will find a lovely little mermaid to sing oh, with him. Or something. It was really awesome. Um, and then um, we had this beautiful day in the studio where Ruby Fields came down. Oh, and wow. we drank a few beers and she sung it with me. And that was awesome and I was so excited about it. That didn't end up working out, um, which was a real shame because there's a, there's a really cool version in my laptop of me and Ruby singing, yeah. which is so rad. Um, but when that didn't work out, I was like, oh, my God, like, the album was nearly finished 
Um, and I was touring with Steph and I played her the song and she loved it. And it actually was so funny because it just really resonated with things that were going on in her life at the time. And I was like, would you like to sing this with me? And I'm so happy it's, it was meant to be sung with her. Like it, or at least it was, it was the most compatible, exciting, beautiful version of that song was with her on it. And I'm so lucky like uh, that she's, she's been um, playing with me quite a few gigs in the last year so so we get to sing it together a lot yeah. and it's such a treat and we've become such good friends and it's so nice to have this great friend that you also have this little musical trip that you do yeah together, you know? <laughs> yeah um but then my friend tig leash who's coming down tonight is gonna sing it tonight so, so it's also kind of cool because yeah if there's somebody around that i think could sing it well i can be like do you want to sing this duet with me tonight and it's that's a really fun thing as well yeah yeah cool and uh, speaking of finishing an album, all that you want from me. Oh. Um, bit of a closing track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Relationship vibes. <laughs> yeah. What was the, I guess, conscious? Why was it that track to close the album? Mm. And also, how did you know that the album was finished? Mm. When, at what point were you like, okay, I think this is it. It's done. Well, the finishing of the album was simple. In the past, I've agonised and agonised and agonised, but I think when you get it right or what you feel is right early on, it doesn't take much to finish. Mm. You kind of, you're pretty happy with with what you have. So, so there's a lyric at the end of All That You Want From Me, that is all. And, and that just hits me. That's like, that's, yeah, that's the end of the album. That's it. Yeah. There's, I think the line is there's light and there is anger every time I think of you, and that is all. Um, and that felt very conclusive for the relation, for the failure of that relationship. Um, and it felt like a good place for the album to end. Um, but basically, so we, recording the album, we set up everything and we got up at five and we recreated that writing style. Mm. And I would play for three hours and then we'd go for surf and have some breakfast. And then we would listen back and pick things that we thought were good. And, and we did that for three days. And then that was most of the album done. Like I sort of set out saying, no, I just want it to be me and a guitar playing. Like I didn't even care what other instruments were on yeah. it. Um, so then it was just a week or two of getting some cello in there and, and having Johnny play some saxophone. And, and um, Chris Collins, the producer, who's a freaking amazing producer yeah he's such a good friend which is like that's the reason i get to i get to have him he's like he, he's such a good friend he's like his manager's like yeah okay he's doing the veronica's and matt corby um but we might have a week in between yeah and i'm like oh, thank you so much that's amazing um but you know he played he plays viola he plays drums he plays piano and so we'd mess around with a bit of that stuff cool. as well yeah cool. yeah but but that the album was done in a few weeks. Sweet. Mm. How long was it kind of in the making for? I guess, well, there's one track that's like 11, 12 years old. Yeah, yeah, and that's not the oldest one. Dawn Sounds is an idea. Oh, no, Please Come Home is older than Dawn Sounds. No, Please Come Home is the oldest. And that is 2010, so that's will be, yeah, 12 years old. So Dawn Sounds, the guitar part, is probably 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. Um, I, I, I went into this because it really interested me. Um, Comeback Free 
I found the demo for that was, it barely happened. I barely got the guitar part out before somebody marched into the backstage area. I think my sound guy at the time, I was backstage at the Metro in Sydney and I was opening for The Beards. Which, Whoa. do you remember them? Yeah. Yeah, so, so wild. Hey, so they were good friends. They are good friends. Um, and that was 2012, I think. Okay. So, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a lot of things that have really um, been a lot of ideas that have ins- gently insisted on existing, mm. you know, and, they, and I keep coming up. And, um, and I've just been like, hey, you, you want to be here. Like, yeah. you're, you've got your own little journey and, and I, I'm not going to get in the way of that. Like, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that you're still bubbling around in my head and, and finding your way into the guitar when I pick it up. Mm. Um, and, and, yeah, so it's, it's 12 years worth of, worth of stuff. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. And you had a music video come out the other day. Um, for Go Try and Fall. Mm, mm. A bit different for bit you. Raunchy. Bit raunchy. Yeah. yeah. Um well how did the idea for this video come to be, the storyline? Mm. Um, how did you feel about yeah. doing it? Yeah. Um, so I have the cinematographer that I work with, Saskia Burmeister, has become a really good friend and we talk like every other day. We're really close. Um, and that's amazing for our artistic collaboration. You yeah. know, it's so deep. And I said to her, listen, we've done a couple of film clips now. The, the one with Steph, the Please Come Home with one was pretty artsy and like, you know, like just different little snippets of me and Steph singing and whatever. And, and then Come Back Free was like a, a day in the life of him in his van, like me making dinner in the van and going for a swim in the river and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I think we need a narrative again, like some kind of storyline. Um, and Sass was like, okay, cool, leave it with me. And then she came back and she was like, I, she's like, don't freak out. I want to do a love story. And I was like, Sass, I can't act. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I get scared in front of the camera. Like, you can't make me act like a love story. What do you mean? Like, how yeah. would we pull that off? Like, I would have to be like, affectionate with a, with an actress or who, how would it even work and um she was like just trust me it's all good just trust me and i was like okay i trust you um and w- yeah so we so aida the actress who's a good friend of saskia's and we met a couple of times and just chatted it's so it's a strange thing like being intimate on camera is such a strange thing mm. um but i got a good vibe from her i just felt like i could be myself around her um I felt relaxed. I, I really feel that way around Saskia. So we got to shoot day and Sass is like, okay, like, you know, I'm thinking maybe we'll do this and, and maybe we'll have like, maybe you guys just being, you know, just making dinner together and just some little things. Like, I was like, Sass, I don't think I can do this. Like, I don't know how we're going to make this work, but I don't think I can be physical with with a girl in front of the camera. Yeah. Like, I just, it, ma- it gives me the shivers, you yeah. know? Like, um, and she was, I remember she had this tiny little smirk. She's like, okay, kind of thing. But I knew, like, I understand now her thoughts were, you're going to do it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to figure out. So we did this, like, intimacy, we did intimacy rehearsing. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. did you do any, like, preparation? We did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, can we meditate? Can we just be in a space and meditate together? Because that was kind of my, my thing. So we meditated and then we looked into each other's eyes for five minutes straight like just stared into each other's eyes and it breaks down some walls hey like 
I was just like, okay, cool. I'm here for five minutes, just looking straight into Aida's eyes. Like, whoa, okay, that's sweet. It's been 20 seconds, it's cool like that. And so we did that and then we stood up and we both closed our eyes and Saskia basically directed everything. So she would be, so we did all these practice kind of things. So she would be like, Kim, are you comfortable for Aida to like trace your body? She's not going to touch you, but she's just going to like come into your personal space and just trace your body. And I would be there with my eyes closed and be like, yeah, that's cool. And then, and then it would start happening. And then I'd be like, fuck, I have to do this now. Like I have to do this next. And then I would trace Aida's body. And then it was like touch. And then it was hug. And, and each time it was like, are you okay with this? Are you okay for this to happen? Are you okay to do this? And then it was kiss. And then, honestly, by the end of that, we were, like, giggly and, like, holding hands. Yeah. And it was so <laughs> funny. Like, totally got into it. Like, really felt this. I and mean, I guess that's the point of acting. Like, you end up, you've got to believe it. You've got to feel it. You've got to believe it. Um, and then, like, <laughs> I remember having a moment where I'm like, I understand, like, Matthew McConaughey had it great. Hey, he, yeah. just, like, he just had these, like, pretend relationships with all these super hot actresses. And we just make out with them and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, it was actually pretty, once, once we started really getting into it, I actually got really comfortable. Mm. I'm like, that's cool. This is just like when you first meet somebody and you're like a little bit nervous and then you kiss and then you get comfortable together. And I was like, this is cool. This is sweet. And, and I forgot that the camera was there. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it was nice. It was, it was cool to, to do something like that. And I, I feel like it was a good, uncomfortable challenge. Mm. Would you do it again? Mm. You would. Honestly, I was like, I was like, maybe I'll do some acting, you know? Ooh. Like, that feels like the hardest or, or one of the more difficult things to, like, to do love. You know, when we got to the heartbreak scene, like, when she's breaking up with me, I was just so good at that. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I quite happily do heartbreak and do heaps of different stuff in front of the camera, but love and affection. And well, it's so vulnerable and it's, it, like, watching the clip. It's if it looks very real, you know. Yeah. It's like when you're in that, it is real. It's happening. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, for people to watch that, like, I, I mm. almost felt like, like, it almost feels like you're intruding when you watch yeah. things like that. Like, totally. it's like when you're watching like a sex scene with your parents. I it's know, like, yeah. it's like mm. I feel like I'm intruding on something that I shouldn't. You know yeah, what I absolutely. mean? Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's hectic. I couldn't imagine <laughs> what it would feel like to do it. Yeah, yeah, to have people like watch that I know. whenever they want to. Yeah, it was it was scary. Releasing it was scary, um, but I'm you know I, I I I genuinely did really enjoy it. Like Aida and I are like great friends now. It's so cool. Like, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I feel like I know her really well. Like you you kind of we had to go quite deep, um, and yeah, it was it was just like. I don't know. We'll see. But I, I felt like I rose to the occasion and 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 did it and and like it was something I was terrified of. And I think any day that you can get up and do a half decent job of something you were terrified of doing is it's a good day. Yeah, it's a good day on planet sure. Earth. Cool. And well, you've got a Dawn Sounds tour. Yeah. That's coming up. Mm. And well, you're playing a show here at Otway tonight for mm -hmm. your album release. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What do you do in preparation? for a tour how do you feel about this upcoming tour what's all the what's all the thoughts and feels well i don't i guess preparing i spend a long time like researching venues and finding places that fit aesthetically 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't often play like a standard music venue anymore. Sometimes I do, and when I have a good relationship with the place, but um, I'll often like find these little nooks and crannies and places where I feel like the music will work really well and it'll really suit the music. Like this place is, they're ri- they're everybody here is really, really good friends of mine. But this place just, the, seeing the album in there, it's like it was made for this place, you know? And, and um, so I do a lot of research into venues and I really make sure that everything feels aesthetically right and will fit musically, artistically. They'll be the right kind of, people will feel comfortable. My people will feel comfortable. Um, but I kind of always tour. So I'm sort of always touring. So it's not like I have this time before the tour where I'm like, okay, I've got to get ready. <laughs> yeah. It's like always, always yeah. happening. Um, so... Yeah, I sort of just roll through it. Like as long as I get my meditations in and surf and and eat well and sleep well and and you know don't party too hard and those kinds of things. Like the touring just rolls on and on and on, and yeah. it's great because it means I can do like 200, 250 shows a year. Um, and one tour leads into like this year the the Dawn Sounds tour goes. It's like fifty something Australian shows probably like 40 European shows, probably 40 North American shows. Mm. Um, that'll all be by like October. Yeah, right. And what, so, well, I kind of really love that you do the, that you look into your venues because I feel like that's, it creates a really beautiful experience for the audience, for an audience member. Like it's not like, oh, I just, I'm just going to like the same venue that I've been mm. to a million times yep. and I see so many people play here. It actually creates a really memorable experience. Cool. Like going to yeah. hire a combi or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just such a, people make their way out to go to that yep. and like create a day of it. And yep. then there's these beautiful vans around yep. and like kids running around. And yep. it's like really does actually create a really nice experience yeah it's lovely yeah thanks that was a cool one i was glad you got to see that one because yeah because that was a real um that felt like the fully fledged final formation of my idea of a camper van stage even though i didn't use that that night because my friend has that bigger stage in a shipping container which is even cooler Mm. um and just I just I spent two years playing sticky pubs where they want everybody to be wasted you know you go on at like 11 30 at night and and I just thought about who I am and what my music is and what my art is and the kind of people that like it mm. it's like they don't want to be in a pub at 11 o'clock at night like one of my ideas for dawn sounds I haven't done it yet but to do the dawn sounds tour and it's actually like cafes and and yoga studios and gigs in the morning yeah. I think a lot of people are just like, we don't we don't drink, we don't go out to we don't go out. Like it's really different for us to go out to see a gig. And I just thought, yeah, I mean, why don't we do it in the morning, like at a at a yoga studio or at a cafe or like, you know, at a place like this. So so that's still an idea I'm that's having. That's a great idea. Yeah. It also brings in like a different crowd. I feel like I love going to gigs during the day because mm, mm. it doesn't happen very often, mm. and you're just like, oh. I get to go to bed at a reasonable yes, hour know, and yeah. just like chill or like in the morning and I've got a whole day ahead of me yeah, and it's yeah. that's such a nice feeling. Mm, it's good to, I think a lot of uh, live music has been um, very much sort of tied in with debauchery, whether it's a tiny amount of it or not, you know, it's always like, hey, don't, don't let them have a proper pint glass, you know, like give them a plastic cup because they're going to be 
wasted and they're going to be debaucherous. And, and, and I think that music is a lot more than that. It's a lot more than selling booze. And don't get me wrong, I love it. I love rock stars. I love that, you know, Jack Daniels and, and Jamison sponsor tours and festivals. And yeah. that's all cool. And that's a huge part of it. And one of my most enjoyable things in the world is smoking a joint and having a couple of beers and going to a gig. Yeah. Like there is, an, I am like spiritually enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's awesome. Um, but at the same time, like it's, it's okay to like have some more wholesome musical experiences yeah. and, you know, gigs in the day, like gigs where the whole family can come, where the dog can come, you know, like I don't see why there isn't room for that. So I've been trying to carve out a bit more of that and, mm. and just, um, yeah, I mean, just make room for, for, um, a beer on the beach at sunset after the gig. Yeah. <laughs> that nice. kind of thing. And, well, I guess going to overseas travel and playing over there as someone who I guess is ultimately still trying to make a living off of making music. Yeah. yeah. How do you find travelling overseas and mm. playing music overseas mm. financially mm. worthwhile? I know. Yeah, well, the keep it skinny approach is really good. Mm. Um, I've done both. I've done, I'm signed to Atlantic Records. I have five people on the road with me. Um, and I worked to pay that off for years. <laughs> it can be really damaging. It can mm. be really disheartening. Promoters and ticketing companies, especially in Europe, are ruthless. I was looking at a contract the other day and I was like, okay, so if this show sells out, they're gonna, there's going to be like 5,500 euros on the table. The expenses come to like 5,000 euros and then they offer me 700 euros and it's a good deal, mm. you know? And it's like, wow, that's brutal. 700 euros. I'm going to be spending two or 300 euros on hotels. I've got a rental car. I've got gear and backline that I've hired. I've probably just spent $3,000 on gotta eat. flights. <laughs> You've got to eat, which is not cheap in yeah. You know, you go out for a 50 euro lunch if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, all of this stuff. So 700 euros. No. And and for example, like I could I could go nuts. This is the manager in me now. Like the venue will say we're putting 800 euros into pr online promotion, but then also you've got to do your own digital marketing, which is like at least 400 euros. Mm. Just to create and set up the ads is a couple of hundred euros. And then you at least want to put a couple of hundred euros into promoting it, into the, the ads actually reaching people online. So it's very hard to tour overseas. It's brutal. It's so brutal. And a lot of people will lose money in the hope that they will get to that next level. And I've been through that and I didn't. And it hurt. And I spent a long time paying off yeah. those tours. Um, but I think that's where the keep it skinny thing becomes really important. Like when I go to Europe this year, I've got a whole system in place where one friend's helping me find a van, another friend over there is going to buy it in their name, and then another friend has a workshop and some carpenters that are on board, <laughs> and I'm going to have a van kitted out when I get there, and then me and Felipe Boldemir, yep. who's a good friend who's going to support me in Europe, um, and the sound engineer tour manager are going to live in a van for eight weeks and travel around that way. And for me, that starts cutting out expenses. Like I own the van, I have all of the gear. And then over the next few years, if I can create a system where everything is in the van. So I fly over with the guitar, 
I don't get smashed at the airport with like a thousand dollars in excess baggage charges. I don't need to rent guitar amplifiers and drums and it's all in the van. I don't need to book a, a crap load of hotels. Yeah. I have a system in place so that I don't need crew on the road or people or lots of people on the road. Then all of a sudden it's like, sweet, my expenses are pretty manageable and I go out there and I sell my music. I sell my vinyls at the shows and, and I'm, I'm a working man. Yeah. You know, like it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly pay a lot of money, but it's, I'm going out and I'm getting paid for what I do. Totally. Um, so I think, yeah, the keep it skinny approach, highly necessary cool. overseas. Nice. Mm. And well, my final question is in your music video, Go Try and Fall, you were reading The Alchemist. Yeah. Are you a reader? Yes, I'm what such a are reader. your What are your favourite books? Mm-hmm. Where do you look to for inspiration? Mm-hmm. And who are you listening to at the moment? Okay, cool. My favourite author is Herman Hesse. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a book called Siddhartha, which I read every year. It's not my favourite of his. Maybe Demian is my favourite, but his big ones are Steppenwolf. was really big, the glass bead game. Um, the Alchemist is huge for me. I read that every year. Um, I we needed to find a way in the film clip to to show the meeting and the like moment of like oh they're 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 an item and and Aida had the idea actually to she's like what if we like were in a cafe and we're reading the same book and like saw each other reading the same book and I was like oh kind of <laughs> and then and then I was like oh can it please be the alchemist because I adore the alchemist and I read it every year I just love that book um at the moment I'm a sucker for like cheesy self-help books I love them I just love like anything that helps you kind of figure out your mind and your heart and your soul um I've been writing to this guy, Michael Singer, at the moment, cool. who has a book called Untethered Soul, um, which I loved, and now I'm reading his second one, The Surrender Experiment. Mm. Um, what's the next part of that question? Inspiration. Where do you look for to for inspiration? For inspiration, oh, all over the place, but honestly, one of my biggest forms of inspiration is my friends. Like, they're just phenomenal people. Yeah. Like, I, my friend Tyson is down in Tassie. He moved to Tassie, he suffered a bit of a heartbreak, and moved to Tassie and he started painting and he's building these beautiful lamps and he's found all these new, this new community to connect with and I was down there with him and we would hike up a mountain and then paint, you know, and I was like, you are so cool, like, <laughs> so inspired, so inspired. Um, you know, so, oh, I, and I have lots of friends like that, that and I'd say that's one of my biggest forms of inspiration is like, oh, my God, my friends are doing that. Like, yeah. Like my friends started a business that, that builds skate ramps. Like, what a champion. Like, that's cool. That inspires me. Um, and then, like, just the adventures of life. Like, it's a, it's a very adventurous life I lead, and there's a lot of ups and downs. It's like there's not – there's no balance. There's no, like – it's very hard to stay grounded, but it's very exciting, mm. and a lot of things happen, and that is inspiring, even when it sucks. <laughs> um and what am I listening to right now? I am going to see Charlie Crockett here in Melbourne, actually. Um, I am obsessed with him at the moment, and it's pretty much just his new album. It's called The Man From Waco. And um, I've gone through a couple of heartbreaks in the last few years. I'm just new to it. Yeah. <laughs> and it hurts. So bad. <laughs> oh, my God, it hurts so bad. But um, his album, The Man From Waco, really helped me um, four or five months ago going through kind of a gnarly heartbreak and... 
every day I would get up and I was on a tour bus in Europe living on this tour bus and and so you wake up in a new city you wake up and you get off the bus like fuck no I'm in Oslo okay cool like I need to find a cafe and you know like somehow kick myself into back into reality and I and my thing would be I would walk through whatever city I was in and and see like the the beautiful architecture and experience the city and listen to Charlie Crockett the man from Waco and cry I would just have to cry every day I was calling it a sadness dump like just gotta do a sadness dump just get it out so that album was huge for me um and he's coming to play it in melbourne soon so i'm gonna go and wow yeah that's my big one to talk about yeah and what what are the i guess the key artists that are like foundational for your listening experience and like i guess when you're creating an album what you look at and you're like okay wow that's a really yeah that's a really good album yeah yeah okay um Neil Young is mm. massive for me. I always channel a lot of him in his the way that he writes, the way that he records. And definitely with this album, I got back to a lot of Neil. Um, bon Iver. Bon Iver is just... Justin Vernon in particular from Bon Iver um, has just been there for me since I was 18. And, um, and somebody gave me a burnt copy of his first album at the market. Yeah. <laughs> I reminded them of him. And I thought he was probably just a guy that lived locally because it sounded so shit. (laughs) (laughs) That first album, like, sounds dreadful but awesome. Yeah. It's awesome, dreadful. It's great. He's always been really massive for me. Um, Ben Howard, realistically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ben Howard. Like, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't (laughs) reaching for that that level of mood and depth um and then in the last few years a big one has been gregory allen isakov yeah 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 that's all the folky all the folky crew yeah um yeah they they've been like especially sonically and and for me getting back to myself and being comfortable with who i am those artists are really really important because they all just grab an acoustic guitar, write a song, get into the studio and don't mess around with it too much. Yeah. And they're kind of like, you can hear a pin drop in the room yes. that they're playing in. Kind totally. Of like. Yes. Yeah. And that's good because that's a blank canvas. You know, when everybody's talking, it's like a magazine page. Like, how are you going to paint on there? Yeah. Or how are you going to draw on there? But pin drop silence is a blank canvas and that's really cool. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting today oh thanks it's been lovely to catch up yeah it's been fun thank you for having me on the potty i think it's an amazing podcast i'm really happy to to get to do it with you and um yeah it's been good and dawn sounds is amazing i actually do think that it's my favorite like work from you ever thank you since like the day that i discovered your yes was that milky chance i feel like i can't even remember when i first started listening to your music Mm. like it would have been a while ago. Mm. Um, maybe it was like secondhand car yep, era. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's like and then five or six years ago now. Yeah, I think feel like that was probably maybe when I started listening to your music. Mm. And then I don't know when I saw you for the first time play. I don't think it was Milky Chance. I think it was before that. Before that, yeah. Somewhere. Mm. Maybe it was Milky Chance actually. Maybe it was one of those things where I'd never seen you play before. 
Yes, and I, I, just, I feel like we had that chat. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. It was just one of my sister had seen you a few times and I just never, uh, for some reason or another, could go. Yeah. And I think Milk, uh, you opening for Milky Chance was like the first time I ever yeah. saw you play, which is an interest, interesting yeah, totally. setup. Yeah, but I know. Yeah. That's a funny one. They're, they've become such good friends. Mm. It's a weird combo. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think I saw you play your One Light show. Oh, yes. Cool. And then... Yeah, and then the the um, Harakombi show. Yeah, yeah. Those were the ones. Yeah, oh, well, well, thanks. It means a lot that it feels like the best thing for you, and I hope that... I feel like it is, too, so I hope that people feel that way. So that's that's probably the, one of the best bits of praise. That's up there with my friend's um, son dancing around a fighter. Yeah. It's like <laughs> a really good bit of praise. I can be like, cool, that, you know, that's rad. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thank, and thank you. you. You're welcome. Cool. Thanks. No so worries. Much. That was sick. I'm glad we got to chat. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome, Vic. Thanks for coming down. No oh. worries. And congrats on your release. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Sooner or later, we will all be with them. 